Hello captives and captive friends and welcome to episode 73 of the Global Captive Podcast supported by Legacy Specialists R&Q and hosted by me Richard Kutcher. This is a pretty special episode actually because later on I'll be introducing our loyal listeners to our first additional member of the GCP team. Luke Harrison joined us earlier this month as senior reporter and has already been busy attending the Bermuda Captive Conference where he interviewed a few of the organisers as well as conducted a captive owner interview with Scott Reynolds, President and CEO at American Hardware and Lumber Insurance and also President of the Bermuda Captive Owners Association. In those segments, in the second half of the episode, Luke will introduce himself and report on some of the items up for debate in Bermuda this year, his plans to attend the Firma Forum in Copenhagen in October, and the hot topics he is keen to discuss with the captive community. First, however, I am delighted to say that I recently sat down with Alison Quinn-Liven, Head of International Insurance and Captives at Google, to talk through her varied 20-year career in captives and insurance, observations of the market, where she'd like to see more progress and the potential for greater tech innovation. Ali Quinn-Liven, welcome on the pod. Thank you very much. Ali, we've been talking about getting you on the pod for for quite some time, or I've been badgering you to come onto the pod for for quite some time is probably the the accurate way to put it. For listeners who may not be familiar with you, I just want to start with a couple of questions about your current role and obviously your history in captives. So to start up to date first, can you tell us a little bit about your role at Google? So I am head of international insurance and also I'm head of our captives. So that means I look after the insurances placed outside of the US and it also means I look after the oversight of our Dublin and Hawaii captives. So before you joined Google or Alphabet, you had a 20-year career in captive management and, and consulting at Aon, Marsh, Willis as it was, Willis Towers Watson, based in Hawaii, Bermuda, California, and the UK at various times. So I remember when I first met you and I joined Airmic three years ago, I was, I was pretty delighted to finally get to meet you in person. What have you found so fascinating about the the world of captives that has made you stay in the world of captives and ultimately ended up on the client side? Yeah, so I was only in captive roles with Aon and Marsh. My Willis role was more of a client relationship director, although of course my clients did have captives. But I think that the thing that I've always found so fascinating about captives is how inventive you can be with them. They're almost like a creative thing that's out there seeking a problem. And whereas in the traditional market, you're always coming across silos and reasons why you can't do things Uh, with a captive because you're doing things in the interest of the owner of the captive. It's amazing what you can achieve. So I think that's what I find so fascinating. And then how have you seen captives change and evolve during your work, your time working in the sector then? What are, what are your kind of maybe three main observations about how the captive market and, and captive utilization has evolved in the 21st century? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think that, you know, when I first began in the industry, it was all about tax. I mean, most of the tax savings had already been eliminated, but certainly in the US, it was, you know, how to get a tax effective uh, vehicle, um, especially for long tail covers or workers comp where you know there's a lot of numbers attached to it. And all the modeling was done about does it make sense from a tax perspective to go ahead with the captive? Now I'd say that tax is no longer the main driver. We've seen the needs of clients, of which of course I am one now, change dramatically. We no longer need so much the traditional perils. We well, my own company is 20 years old. You know, we just didn't exist when I started in the industry. 
and we're completely different from you know bricks and mortar type companies so the captives are used to solve problems where there isn't capacity or where we need to tailor a policy which we can't persuade the markets to do and really incubate the risks i think the other thing that we've seen dramatically change is the size of captives and um, when i started in the industry a large captive might put you know a few million in each year um, now large captives are multi-billion dollar operations and they're larger than some commercial insurance companies themselves. And I think that just shows how important they've become to the evolution of their parent entities. Yeah, and I think reflecting both on that comment regarding the size of captives and how they are such huge, huge entities now, as you say, bigger than, than many uh, commercial insurance companies. And of course, that role in incubating risks or, or providing cover where the commercial market can't. Is, is it fair to say as well, do you think, Ali, that captives have had a huge impact on the commercial market or they should be having a big impact on the commercial market because they are almost changing the definition of insurance themselves. Yeah, I don't think that the commercial insurance market has paid enough attention to the impact that captives have. I think if they were to look at how much premium has actually been taken out of the market due to people choosing to self-insure or restructure programs, maybe it would encourage them to be a little bit more creative and you know, not just trying to defend what they have, but really trying to respond to what is required in the future. But instead, typically what you find is we incubate in the captive and only once the insurance companies can see that it works and the data is there, will they join the party. I'd much prefer it if they would partner with the captive world more at a much earlier stage. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. And I think also maybe maybe a suggestion as well that if you want to see what the future of insurance looks like, you might want to look at a few a few sophisticated captives and the kind of stuff that they're doing. Because I think, as you say, the commercial market is often behind some of the, the more sophisticated uh, corporate insurance buyers. Some, some of the points we've mentioned there are some of the, the great advantages or benefit of captives and using a captive. What do you think are some of the biggest challenges facing captives and obviously by extension insurance buyers right now? Yeah, so I think that probably the economic headwinds, you know, it's been a long time since we last saw so much going on. It doesn't feel so long back to 2008. Um, but, you know, what we did see back then was as corporates began to get more and more scrutiny on where they could find extra funds, the attention would turn to the captive. So what I expect to see is a lot of captive owners really having to justify their entity. Um, maybe if they've got excess retained earnings, we'll see a lot more dividends go out. But also if a captive hasn't been kept fresh and alive, I would expect to see, just as we did back then, them closed down so that monies can be withdrawn from them. However, I actually see that it's more likely that the captives are going to be the solution to a lot of the problems that are coming towards the corporate entities. Because of course, you know, as long as they are well run and well funded, they can be a solution to passing premiums outside of the corporation. So I actually think that this might be an advantage for captives, a time to help them grow and expand even more. Yeah, that's interesting. You said, obviously, with the economic headwinds already here and certainly coming down the track that, as always, it will put more scrutiny on the captives. But that, that obviously follows on from, what, a three-year period where we've had extremely harsh 
market conditions and and certainly captives are kind of cool again i think you know people who were maybe starting to mothball them or or maybe question whether they are relevant in their organization i think have, have been woken up to the fact that they are still an extremely valuable vehicle do you think do you think that kind of those harsh market conditions have really re-emphasized the, the true value of captives yes i do in many cases and i think that that's only going to be um, enhanced going forward so you know for some companies it might be that they thought oh we'll put the first you know 10 million of risk now in our captive and save some money now they're probably thinking well why don't we go for 50 million and so you know i do think we'll see an increased level of limits of liability and coverage being placed for the existing lines but also more inventiveness as to what else could go into the captive so uh, let's move on to service offerings, Ali. As we discussed at the beginning, you've been on the on the service provider side, on on the management, on captive consulting, and, and client and, you know, client relationship side. And now, as a client, you get to experience all of that, plus the fronters, the lawyers, the reinsurers, you know, the whole ecosystem of, of captives that that we exist in. Where do you think there is still advances to be made or improvements to be made in in the way that the commercial market or the service providers actually provide? their services and expertise to captives what, what were you missing out on that could be available yeah i mean i still feel it's it's too siloed the captive managers and it does vary according to who your team is and, and who you're dealing with and where you're domiciled but i think that part of the problem is that the captive managers are mainly accountants and so they're looking after the day-to-day aspects of the captive and then they have captive consultants of which there are fewer of them that are not in the domiciles And then they in turn rely on brokers for some of the insurance technical piece. And then there may or may not be teams of captive experts at the insurance companies. And and I think it's all a little bit hit and miss. I would love to see more coordination probably coming from the captive manager side, where if you've got multiple um, captives, you're seeing a lot more strategic input, guidance and feedback as to what's happening in the larger market. As it is, it's very much client-driven as opposed to market-driven. I've hosted a few panel sessions and I'm organizing a few more. One of them will be in Dublin at the Emic uh, event there in, in October about the kind of future role of captives and what the future of captives do look like. In your opinion, what is next for captives, uh, especially those in the kind of large account space that you're so familiar with? Is there is there a much bigger role for them as, as business enablers, as, as finance tools? Oh, definitely. I mean, I think there's so much more that we can do. Um, our own captives are, are very advanced. But when you start looking at the headwinds, for example, in things like cyber, I do wonder whether the time has come where some of the larger, let's say, tech companies get together and pool risk and form our own sort of mutual reinsurance companies so that we can deal with risk that we understand better than anyone else. I'm not saying that's necessarily something anyone will be interested in doing, but when you look back at the oil and gas industry and why they set up OIL many, many years ago, you know, maybe the time is for the captives to get together and do more to drive the coverage and protection that we need. Yeah, and on that uh, cyber mutual case, I mean, I'm sure you're aware that there has been one set up in Europe. It hasn't. I don't think it's been by tech companies themselves, but I think it is is the CISOs who are leading it. And I think there's still news to come in exactly which companies are involved. I think it's only a handful at this point setting up a a cyber mutual in brussels and there'll be more news on that i imagine towards the end of the year but i've had i've heard that conversation ali for sure 
not specifically to the tech sector, but um, regarding DNO, regarding cyber. Multinationals are desperate for well-structured capacity, well-structured cover. And if the commercial market isn't providing it, which they currently aren't particularly in cyber, of course, people are going to be looking to innovate and, and find new solutions. Yeah, and I think that cyber is a problem generally, but I think when it comes to tech, it's a huge problem because the sort mm. of um, capacity that we need just isn't out there. So on the tech question, then I think we just—I thought I'd end off uh, with a question regarding kind of insure tech, and this is actually an area that I'd love to talk to some some more of your colleagues about uh, in the future on the podcast. You you obviously have quite a unique insight into developments into the technology world broadly, and insure tech is an area that makes a lot of noise. Where would you like to see InsureTech embraced by captives and, and insurance buyers? Are, are there any easy wins, you think, out there by embracing technology that could make risk and, and captive managers' jobs a lot easier? So, yes, I think technology can definitely help to make everyone's uh, lives easier. I think that there are some big, big challenges getting there, which have nothing to do with the capability of the tech itself. It tends to come from internal infrastructures within both the captive and the insurance industry where trying to persuade people to move from you know what they used to is really hard now i I work a lot with our google cloud team and they have an arm which do nothing but try and innovate within the insurance industry and try and help people do things more efficiently Um, and i think you're probably aware of the brick key syndicate which is a retrocession syndicate, which is now you know, mainly automated and so much more efficient. Um, there's got to be more examples where we can do that. So we've got less people handling the same piece of data, interpreting it differently. One of my big concerns is when you look at the huge amount of information that we have to give out in order to get coverage, whether that's protection for the captive, whether it's fronting or whether it's indeed no captive involvement whatsoever, how much of that is really looked at by the underwriter? Um, I think that whole process could be streamlined. And if you could actually see you know, how long the underwriters were dwelling on different pieces of information, it would really help us to know what we should enhance and what isn't required at all. And I think that would cut down not only the huge volumes of information that drown people and, and stop progress, but it would also allow more relevant information to be seen more easily. Yeah, I mean, that is just a huge complaint, isn't it? I mean, um, Ali, we, we, we're both part of the EMIT Captive Special Interest Group. And I think that's probably the topic that comes up most often in, in all kinds of different contexts in terms of just complete demands on time for administration tasks that one, feel unnecessary. And two, as you say, we're not even sure that underwriters or whoever is actually looking at that data in any kind of meaningful way so it just feels like a double waste of time doesn't it when it when it's done inefficiently and it's not even being used correct i totally agree with that ali it's been fantastic to get you onto the global captive podcast my pleasure good to speak with you Paul, while we have seen uh, captive utilisation increase and record formation activity during the hard insurance market of the past three years, there has been no let up in legacy transfer activity, has there? Why do you think that is? Well, as captive owners re-evaluate their risk financing strategies and review their captive portfolio, one output can be to look at selling or transferring legacy business in order to free up capital that they can then use to support new programs or provide extra capacity for lines of insurance proving particularly problematic to place elsewhere. 
If that is an avenue captive owners wish to pursue, Paul, how can R&Q support them in the execution? Well, Richard, there are all manners of execution, from novation and lost portfolio transfer, which is effectively reinsurance, to a complete business transfer or a full sale of the captive. R&Q has a proven track record over the last 13 years in all of these strategies, over 70 captive transactions across 36 regulatory jurisdictions. We're experienced in working with captive owners, managers, TPAs and fronting partners to ensure the right solution is found for all parties whilst protecting the reputation of the captive owner for the life of the liabilities. Thank you, Paul. Well, if you want more information on R&Q, then visit their friend of the podcast page on the globalcaptivepodcast.com website or follow the links in the episode show notes. Really good to finally have Ali on the pod and really appreciate her time and insights. And now I'm delighted to say joining us for the second half of GCP 73 is our first full-time recruit, full-time staff member, apart from myself, Luke Harrison, our new senior reporter. Luke, welcome to the pod. Hi, Richard. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Excited to get started and I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, we're really delighted to have you on board. So Luke, tell us a bit about your background and your experience in insurance journalism. Cool. Yeah. So I began my insurance journalism career back back when I started my master's, which I did at City University in London. Uh, yes, yeah, so I studied financial journalism, you know, where I kind of touched on a lot of financial subjects and insurance actually wasn't one of them. But since then, <laughs> since then, I've, I got a job at Insurance Insider where I covered a lot of different beats. Uh, these included construction, product recall, trade credit, political risk, political violence and surety. And I know we'll touch on it later, but hopefully I'll be carrying on touching on some of these beats as we, we go forward at, at Global Captive Podcast. Yeah, absolutely. And it's one of the things uh, that really appealed to me. And you, you, you definitely understand a lot about the commercial market more than I probably understand for sure. And particularly those uh, kind of more niche specialty lines mm. of insurance. And you, you joined us earlier this month in September, and it was really straight into the deep end for you, Luke, because yeah, we was. put you straight onto a flight to Bermuda. <laughs> you were at the Bermuda Captive Conference almost immediately. Uh, you met with some some good established contacts of mine, but also met many people that I've not had the pleasure of meeting before. What were your initial kind of impressions of the industry and, and was it a, a welcoming environment? Yeah, I mean, everyone was really welcoming, uh, you know, with, with the help of a lot, a lot of people at the conference, I managed to learn a lot about the captive landscape in Bermuda, uh, as well as the cap- as well as the captive world more generally. Some of the key themes this year were ESG, tax regulation, particularly in the US, and the increasing use of captives in the LATAM region. A couple of people I spoke to, mm. a lot of them were conversations at the bar. I managed to speak to Chris and Damien at London in Cap- Capital. Yeah. I also met Jennifer Masters at Brown & Brown. I met Mike Meehan at Milliman. And I also met Santiago Garcia, which I believe is the Senior Director of Global Risk at Brinks. Great. Good stuff. Delighted that you found the captive insurance industry as welcoming as I have over the past uh, however long, eight years, I think. So we're going to hear from some of the organizers you interviewed shortly, but you also conducted a captive owner interview with Scott Reynolds, President and CEO at American Hardware and Lumber Insurance, and also President of the Bermuda Captive Owners Association. Really good to have Scott on the pod for the first time. So let's hear more about a group captive that actually goes back 50 years. The agency was formed in 1972 as part of what was then called Cotter and Company, which is now True Value Hardware. In 1982, in order to give the members more control over the program, 
uh, and to control insurance pricing, a captive was formed based in Bermuda. And to this day, that's the basic model that we have. What is its structure today? And how has it evolved over time? We're a class three Bermuda Mutual. We insure hundreds and perhaps thousands of hardware store owners throughout the U.S. And they in turn become members and owners in our captive insurance company. Uh, We provide all commercial lines of business, workers comp, GL, property, auto, umbrella, inland marine. And the members enjoy annual dividends. What coverages does it provide to its members? So our largest line of business is workers' compensation. Uh, that has to be admitted on an admitted insurance company paper. It can't be ENS. Auto liability is the same way. We write property and GL and Inland Marine and Umbrella. All that is in the captive. We will provide other lines of business outside of the captive, but those are the major lines in the captive. How do you utilize the commercial market as a complement to the captive? We have several carriers that we have relationships with where we do not reinsure them. So we reinsure the Hartford and PMA, Pennsylvania Manufacturers Association, so they are our fronting carriers. Outside of that, we can insure almost any exposure and any class of business. We have relationships with PLM, Travelers, and Selective, and Donegal, and the list goes on. How do you and the members measure the value and performance of the captive? So, obviously, we need a profitable loss ratio. First and foremost, we need to be at about a 55% loss ratio, which is fairly attractive in this industry, and we have accomplished that. That allows us to pay all our expenses and still produce a profit so that we can pay dividends. We also want to grow, so that's the second most important measure, uh, which has been challenging in recent years, but currently with inflation, the marketplace is offering up a lot of opportunity for growth. Does American Hardware and Lumber Insurance and Member Insurance LTD provide any support to members on risk management and mitigation? We do. Uh, Not only do we provide loss control services to help them mitigate exposures to loss, but when there is a claim, uh, we don't just hand it over to a TPA or an insurance carrier. We ourselves get involved. Uh, We have a philosophy of fighting claims if we feel like our insured was not negligent. And in a case of first-party losses, such as property or auto-physical damage, we try to pay according to the policy terms as fast as possible to make sure that our insureds are made whole and they're back up and running. Are you open to new members? And if so, what makes a good prospective member? We are open to new members more than ever before. At one point in time, you could only be a member if you were a true value hardware store. Now we're open to any retail business in the hardware store and building material dealer industry. So as long as they meet that need and we feel like we can offer a competitive product that will produce uh, a profit for the other members, uh, then they would qualify for the captive. Luke, that was hopefully the first of many captive owner interviews you'll be conducting in the following months and years. So good to get stuck in early. And as you'll find, no two captive profile structures or motivations even are the same for captives. As well as Scott, who we'll hear from again shortly, you also interviewed some of the conference committee, including Leslie Robinson, conference chair and of Willis Towers Watson in Bermuda, Grunia Richmond, now at Aon, and on the strategy committee for the Bermuda Captive Network, and Lewis Delgado on the conference committee and of strategic risk solutions. So first of all, let's hear from Scott, Leslie and Lewis on the importance of the conference returning with an in-person element. 
it's hugely important. The past three years have been a challenge. I think the BCC has made the best of it with the virtual meetings. This one is a hybrid meeting. It's both uh, in-person and remote. But being able to connect a face, to shake hands, to chat in settings that are not in a meeting room or in a Zoom meeting, it's hugely important. I think it's extremely important that we try hard to have the conference in a physical format and also in hybrid, but particularly in physical because we feel, first of all, that it's important for people to reconnect and network. You know, our business, insurance business in general, is about relationships and whether it's getting to know people, whether it's forming new relationships, maintaining relationships, we feel it's, it's important that we have places where we can actually physically share and talk and interact. We had about, I was looking at the numbers, about 400 attendees in person and about 400 uh, online from all around the globe, I will say. So it definitely feels much better now having all the, all, meeting all the faces again and, and, and meeting again with all the clients, prospects, uh, even our own service providers and colleagues that, that we see around in the industry. Luke also asked organisers what some of the hot topics were at conference in the jurisdiction specifically, but of course concerning captives more broadly. So let's hear what Lewis and then Gronje had to say on that. ESG has certainly been a lead discussion um, across certain panels and there is a specific ESG panel discussion and that really should be no surprise given the prominence of ESG in the global marketplace. So that has certainly led part of the, the, the theme as well of the conference as well. Um, also actually that made um, quite an impact over the last two days is fronting and the collateral um, that's required in some of those fronting programs and it's interesting to see the growth in new formations of captives and expansion of captives on how fronting is kind of an important part of some of that makeup um, and it was some good questions that came out of, of that panel as well yesterday so that was good to see that interaction. The innovation uses um, that we're seeing of captives that has come up for discussion on panels as well is cyber, cannabis, DNO coverage but also captives stepping back in and taking on larger retentions, larger deductibles um, and also kind of coming in at different tower parts on certain captive programs. Um, so that, that's really been key as well um, and as uh, we'll hear from Lewis in, in a while. Um, Latin America still is uh, a kind of a growth area for, for Bermuda. Um, just with the further education, we should eventually get a stronger foothold there. And Canada, actually, over the last two years, we have seen um, quite strong growth from the Canada market here in Bermuda. So that's been really, really great. And um, with the potential that maybe a more specific Canadian focus panel uh, for 2024 is, is on, or 2023 even, <laughs> is on the agenda. We did hear from the regulator, um, and it was from other panels as well, of how important the work with industry and the regulator is. So we, that was that was the key topics that came out of the panel. Um, was over the overarching aim of Bermuda is to ensure that we're there for our stakeholders and the underlying insureds, and I think that's come out as a as a key message from from the panels that we're hearing from. Uh, absolutely, Latin America it has been an emerging market for a bunch of years now, and. Uh, we're, we're looking at Latin America developing more as, as, as we go and as the, con the captive concept expands within the region 
then we're seeing more formations, new formations from, from Latin American parents as well as expansion in, in, in current captives that are already existing from, from that region. I will say the obviously the hard market we kind of saw last year was a good driver for new Latin American parents to really take a deep dive into their insurance programs and and see how the captive is playing a good role within their structures. So we're seeing the growth from that time. Last year, it was a quick turnaround, so we saw a lot of formation, cell formations, uh, given that clients needed to renew their programs and they, they were hit by a hard market. They didn't have a captive, so the cell solution was pretty good. But right now, I guess that was a good check for, for these companies to really take a look at the future of, of their insurance and reinsurance uh, programs and see how a captive is going, going to play out for the future and, and, and be a long-term solution for their organizations. And lastly, the Bermuda Captain Network was formed in March 2021 as a collaboration between three different groups on Ireland. So Luke did ask for some of the reasons behind this move and its objectives. And let's hear what Gronje, Scott... And then Leslie had to say. Important to note, the Bermuda Captive Network, whilst new, um, is, is, is truly an amalgamation of organisations that have been in operation here in Bermuda uh, for the last 60 years. And it's, it's quite positive that we have rebranded um, to this new organisation on the 60-year anniversary of the first captive been named here in Bermuda by Fred Rice. Bermuda Captive Owners Association, the Bermuda Insurance Management Association and the Bermuda Captive Conference are really the foundation of the Bermuda Captive Network. But the aim of the network going forward is to expand and diversify um, across who we're engaging with, more potential overseas uh, stakeholders being part of that network and, and driving things forward. The aim and the importance of the network going forward is now we have one voice, and that's very, very important. With three different organisations, it was it was it's a little unclear on who you would communicate with. We now have one voice, and that one voice is working on collaboration, not just within the insurance uh, captive sector, but uh, collaboration with the other insurance pillars that operate here in Bermuda, such as Abir, Bilter, um, and then the organisation ABIC. So that's really important for us to do as well. Advocacy is obviously a huge importance um, to ensure that we're protecting our stakeholders and our policyholders. Uh, so the advocacy of the group, uh, working with the Bermuda Monetary Authority, the Register of Companies here, um, and the the government to ensure legislation and regulation is uh, is in line with what our policyholders need. Third, not third uh, as importance, but education. Um, that's also educating the service providers here in Bermuda, but also educating our stakeholders overseas on what Bermuda has to offer. And last but not least, but re-engaging, especially after COVID, with our stakeholders globally. Obviously, the captive conference is great to get people from overseas here. Um, I think it does change people's perception of Bermuda when they come here. Um, but it's important that we get on the road again and get out there. Um, no different than what Henry, Henry Tucker did in the 1930s and 40s that started the insurance industry here, to be perfectly honest. We need to go back and do that. And we should have all the tools in our belt to get on those roadshows again and, and work with our stakeholders, Canada, Latin America, US, Europe and, and, and the Middle East. So that's that's really the, the target of the captive network is to get, to get us back up and... Uh, on the forefront of everybody's mind. Two plus two is going to be more than four. Uh, the 
Bermuda Insurance Managers Association had a, a, a limited membership. The Bermuda Captive Owners Association had a limited membership, both very meaningful, and combining those two organizations with the BCC into one network, the Bermuda Captive Network, and expanding the, the scope so more students, more captives in other parts of the world, more service providers, and, and more Bermuda captives. It should be really good, offering many more networking environments and, uh, and opportunities and educational opportunities. So I'm very excited about the BCN. The fact that we had three different groups all with specific interests for the captive market, we thought it would just be better, whether in terms of both economies of scale, but also just for the members to be able to have more of a voice in matters that affected captives and, you know, as they say, um, strength is in numbers. So what's happened with the captive network is that we've been able to expand the membership so as to hopefully attract more captive owners, insurance managers, and even managed companies because there are some small commercials that are managed by insurance managers that also feel that they may not necessarily have a voice, they can be a part of this. And then also for our sponsors, our sponsors are those who have always been here for us for the conference, but after the conference, there was not much else to help them stay connected with Bermuda. So this also allows them to be able to continue to be connected for a period outside of the conference and to still be involved and get a stronger foothold in Bermuda. So with that expanded membership comes more diverse thought leadership for the captive conference itself. And it also allows us to be able to be a stronger voice when we're lobbying and pushing for the captive sector itself. It also gives us opportunities to have more educational sessions because we do care about the next group that's coming in as far as um, coming to be in the captive industry. Um, in terms of workforce and wanting to make sure they truly understand um, what's happening um, with captives and, and how to manage them and how to, whether you be a risk manager, whether you're going to be um, a service provider for a captive. Um, and then also just the mere fact that as a group we can also have better strategic partnership with government, with the BMA, with other groups just so that it shows that we are a strong voice and that we're similar to ABEAR for the reinsurance industry or ABIC for the other large insurance companies in Bermuda, that we can stand with them and show the government and others that we are, you know, a strong and viable partner for, for captives in Bermuda. Really good to hear from some familiar voices then in Bermuda and, and certainly looking forward to that event gaining further momentum again and, and hopefully smooth sailing into the 2023 conference. Luke, we've got a busy few months coming up and your, your next couple of trips are going to be heading to Firma in Copenhagen in October and a trip to Guernsey and of course the European Captive Forum in Luxembourg in November. Mm -hmm. What are some of the topics you're, you're particularly keen to talk to the captive industry about as you get to meet more people? So I'm going to kind of delve back into sort of the expertise that I, I've already gained. So I'm going to be writing a couple of features on 
the potential use of captives in the trade credit market and the political risk market, as well as kind of looking at how the kind of increase in use of captives in the SME area and also the potential role of captives in the green energy transition going forward. The energy transition is a big topic for Firma. They've just released a white paper on that. And obviously, I'm sure it'll be on the agenda at the conference. And I think we're just keen to see what role captives might have to play there. And of course, I've definitely heard before that we've seen increasing use of captives regarding things such as trade credit. And so with your expertise in that commercial market, it'd be interesting to see what you can dig up on that. And in terms of where and when those features will be available, there'll be more news in that in the future. But of course, We've got Luke on board because we are going to be expanding the Global Captive podcast into other areas in the coming months and, and next year. So do watch that space. Luke, how do people get in touch with you if they want to have a chat on any of those topics or, or anything else related to captives? Uh, yeah, if anyone thinks they can kind of help me out with their expertise on any of those topics, the best way to contact me is probably at my email, which is luke at globalcaptivepodcast.com. But I also am on LinkedIn uh, under the name Luke Harrison. So please feel free to get in touch with me. Great stuff. Well, it's really good to have you on board and we do have lots of exciting new developments as I touched upon to share regarding GCP's continued expansion in the coming months but more on that later in the year in the meantime thank you to our guests this week all of our guests Ali Quinn Livin at Google Scott Reynolds of American Hardware and Lumber Insurance and the Bermuda Captive Owners Association and of course Leslie Robinson Gronny Richmond and Luis Delgado all in Bermuda and finally Luke you survived your GCP debut and uh, we'll be hearing from you again soon I think Hopefully, yes. I'm looking forward to contributing more in the future. Stay safe, stay well, and see you next time, captives.